In 2018, Cranfield Alumni held its annual conference at HSBC in Canary Wharf, London. The subject was inclusive talent management towards a new norm. This podcast is the edited panel discussion of the fifth session called Ethnicity on Boards. What happens is you get diversity in the bottom 25% of organizations, but you don't get it in the top 25%. It's just labels, and I think we have to be very sensitive about that. Actually, ask people, have the guts to have the conversation, to ask people, you know, how would you like me to refer to you? You know, I got a slate of candidates, and they were all white men. And I said to the person leading, I said, what are, you know, no, (laughs) you can't, we can't do this, right? This is not walking our talk at all. Ethnicity on Boards was led by Doyen Atawalagan, visiting fellow at Cranfield School of Management and included Monica Chadhar, deputy chair at Queen Mary University of London, and Frank, CEO of the Chartered Management Institute, and David Tyler, Chairman of Sainsbury's. Let's hear from Doyen Atawalagan. The theme of a conversation has been something that's percolated through the day, and I'm so thrilled, so pleased to have the three panellists that we have today to continue these conversations. Furthest to my left, we have Anne Franca, who is the CEO of the Chartered Management Institute. In particular, Anne is quite passionate about understanding the management implications when we think about gender at work. So really focusing on gender pay gap as well as broadly gender issues in management practice. Sitting next to Anne is Monica Chadha. Monica sits on the board of Queen Mary University of London. And finally, we have David Tyler. David Tyler is chair of Sainsbury's and Hammerson. In particular, the impact David has had on this agenda is he reflects what I see as a genuine senior white male ally on this agenda. And it's superb that I have the opportunity to have a courageous conversation with you this evening with Anne, Monica Mm -hmm. and David. Mm -hmm. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. What we want to do is engage with the complexity. This is not straightforward. This is not complicated, technical. This is a complex issue when we think about ethnicity on boards. So can I ask Anne, thinking about the ethnicity on board's agenda. If you are going to kind of just reflect on your contribution to it, what role would you say you've played? So that's an excellent question. I think there are probably three things that we've done. The first is we uh, have, as the chair of CMI Women, a very well-known senior black woman, uh, Heather Melville. And so she, with those two identities, brings those two things together And she's a key spokesperson for us and a key advocate for us. And to pick up on your theme, the conversation, she has had that conversation with her chief executive. So breaking the silence, very, very important. And um, they've shared that throughout the organization. So role modeling. 
The second is we did start, and this is actually led by an Asian woman. This report um, was done by one of our companions, Pavita Cooper, and it involved lots of companies, including Sainsbury's, which is listed as a best practice example. You'll be pleased to know. Um, But also um, Aviva, Google, Virgin Money. So we're getting people talking about this and making it part of the everyday language and thought process for excellence in management and leadership because that is so important. This stuff is also driving better management and leadership. And that's true for ethnicity and it's true for gender. And then I think the third thing is we watch that ourselves. So I'll give you an example. We have members that get elected and they put themselves forward for nomination. And, um, you know, I got a slate of candidates and they were all white men. And I said to the person leading, I said, what are you, you know, no, (laughs) you can't, we can't do this, right? This is not walking our talk at all. So go out. And she said, well, nobody put themselves, I don't care. Go find the talent because that's what you have to do. And I suggested somebody. And she went and taught, and, you know, as an Asian woman, so it's like, go find the talent. Just say no if you're confronted with that situation. So those are my examples. Excellent. Thank you. So we've already had a conversation about the difference between talking small and talking big. So, Anne, go find the non-white male talent. That's quite a bold statement. Thank you very much. Monica, what's your take? What out of some of the greatest things or one great thing that you think organisations you've been involved in or you yourself personally contributed to the agenda? I mean, I think that's an excellent question, actually. And I I, I guess I, too, I'm a child of immigrants. I can completely relate to, to what you said. I'm Sikh. My parents came to this country in the 60s. They didn't have a penny to rub together. You know, what happens in life is whatever you start out does not determine where you end up. And I think that I've been very, very fortunate to have been you know, given opportunities. But I think that once you get into them, it's really important to know how to use power responsibly. Mm. I absolutely love being an Indian woman, and I absolutely love working. And what happens is that actually, sort of as I've gone through my career and I've been given chances, mm. and I, you know, my background is in the creative industries of media, and you know, I was... The whole time, I was the odd one out. I was the only person of colour. I mean, literally, I was two days in Brussels this week for European... Two days of senior leaders within European cinema and talking about what's happening in Saudi Arabia because they're pulling out. And it's pretty much an entirely white audience. But, do you know, I see it as a complete privilege. And I, I see the odd one out being something that is, is really rather special. And then what happens is actually you start role modeling and you talk about it and you talk about it in a way that takes people on a journey with you that you talk about it in a way that makes people feel comfortable because this is difficult this is not i know we're going to come on to it later but this is not actually gender gender is easy to get right this particular subject is not easy to get and so having sat on boards, having, you know, through, through consultancy, through, through being vice chair at Queen Mary, it means that I can ask the provocative questions, sometimes in a cheeky manner, which goes a long way. But I have to say, it's an absolute privilege to be able to do what I do. And I think once you get there, you help others along the way. And, you know, you have to think about what you do with your life. And every year I go past, I think, what have I done to help others? beyond just earning money. So there you go. Monica, thank you. When we hear from David, 
I am going to also invite you to reflect for yourselves on the answer to that question. Because Monica has just shared what it's like to find oneself kind of automatically in a role model role, you know, by virtue of her gender and ethnicity. And, you know, David's going to speak now as a white man who doesn't naturally fall into the category of black, Asian and minority ethnic. He's going to share with us what his skin in the game is. David. My skin in the game, guys. Well, that's it. That's <laughs> um, what can I say? I mean, I think the first thing to say, if you're thinking of me as an example of a business leader, is the way I've always uh, been involved in businesses, is recognising there's more to business than profit. Mm. Uh, we're part of a community. We have obligations in a much wider way for responsibility and uh, everything associated with human relations. And for me... Fairness and justice is very much part of um, the way I like to live my life, whether I'm in my office or whether I'm out on the streets in a personal capacity. So that's very much part of why I've got involved in this agenda and other similar agendas in the past. But in this case, it's very easy because everything, as far as I'm concerned, goes with the grain. It makes sense from a business point of view and it makes sense in a wider community point of view because there's so much evidence, and I see it with my own eyes, that you improve decision-taking and effectiveness in an organisation if you've got a, a spread of diverse people in it. See that as one good business reason, which is why I can always manage to persuade my business colleagues wherever I am, even if they don't come from quite the same place as me. There's a good business case in taking this sort of agenda very seriously. It's really important, if you're a consumer-facing company in particular, such as Sainsbury's, that you reflect society too. How can I possibly ask somebody from an ethnic minority to come and buy things in my store if I don't employ lots of people from that ethnic minority as well, which broadly reflects um, uh, our society. And so part of what we're trying to do in our organisation is to make sure, all the way through our organisation, that we reflect society as a whole. And we've made, I'm glad to say, in our organisation, a lot of progress on that. We're not there yet, but we've made a lot of progress. Certainly the role model point that you just, um, among other things, made there, I think is quite an important one. Having successful people in an organisation then leads to further success. And, you know, when I finally get back and I have any pushback from uh, any management, when I'm pushing to make sure that we're having full representation, gender-wise, ethnic, minority-wise, and so on, I say, why wouldn't you ever want to have full access to all the talent in this country and make sure that when you do bring them into your organisation, you make it possible for them to succeed. So those are some of the obvious reasons why I've been involved in this. And uh, it's an agenda that doesn't stop. You're always trying to improve things and there's always dilemmas. And no doubt, Doyle, you're going to take on on some of those (laughs) to test us. Thank you so much. Thank you to everyone so far. Um, A question in particular to Anne and Monica... So what's your take on the gender diversity on boards agenda and how it is similar and different to the ethnicity on boards agenda? I think that there are many similarities, okay, in that what you're trying to do is broaden the scope away from the standard default, which, you know, let's face it, is a white male sat on a board. So... You know, we found a lot of the best practices in our gender work, which is Blueprint for Balance, echo the best practices here. It's about having the conversation. It's about changing the culture. 
It's about having transparency and targets. It's about sponsorship. Very important sponsorship. Because what happens, and it over happens to black women, and I know you saw this chart at the beginning of the day because Sue told me. Mm-hmm. You know, what happens is you get diversity in the bottom 25% of organizations, but you don't get it in the top 25%. You know, white men start out as 36% and end up 67%. Black women start out as 17% and end up 3%. That is what happens. So sponsorship is incredibly important. And if I could just name one thing that I think is the most common that I would say for everybody in their companies, and David in Sainsbury's does do this, is get a sponsorship program, make everybody in your top quartile have to sponsor an ethnic minority and or a woman or an ethnic woman in the middle two quartiles and pull those people up. That's the biggest common thread, I think. The biggest difference is, of course, ethnicity is also quite complex, Mm. right? Because it isn't just one. And look, intersectionality in, in the gender agenda is important too. But... It is an identity that is very important, and it is your cultural identity, it is, it is a geographical identity, it can be a religious identity. It is more complex. That makes it, in some ways, harder. The other thing, though, that I would say, and I always say this, women are 51% of the population. They are not a minority. Mm-hmm. Thank you, We'll come back to some of those <laughs> themes, indeed. Monica? Yeah, I mean, I think, I, I mean, Anne covered that really succinctly, yeah. and I think... I mean, the similarities, absolutely, sponsorship, mentoring, buddying, but also I think that applies across the board for all talent, actually. I mean, these are things, you know, people are stepping into new roles, Mm. and if you are trying to bring that sort of pipeline and timeline through, then then for me that's best in class, and you would do it with everybody. Uh, But you would particularly do it for people who perhaps don't have the advocates and the sponsors, and, and you have to seek them out. But how that cascades down from the top is really important. It's very easy for a board or executives to say, this is what we're doing. But actually, how does that message then filter down through the various partners? Because actually, I would say that's an issue because people are deeply uncomfortable about talking about... I mean, I, I, I realised, A, how uncomfortable people were with labels because actually people don't like BAME, People don't like BME, people don't like non-white. And I remember I said people of colour to my husband, and he said, what do you mean? Like, and I don't even know what language is right. And if I don't know, I don't feel especially comfortable saying Doyen is a black woman. I, 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 I don't know why. It's a personal thing. But I would rather talk about her, her EQ, her IQ, her resilience, her backbone, I, you know... And so what it made me think about is how do we get to a position where people are comfortable? Because unless we are comfortable, it's very difficult for people in positions of power and it's difficult for headhunters to talk about this issue. And I'm going to share with you my story, if I may, just about the BAME thing, which is some years ago when somebody says they said BAME. And I thought they said babe. Babe. <laughs> babe. <laughs> now, the B-A-B-E. first thing that I thought was the film, you know, with the pig, I don't know if anyone Because <laughs> I loved that growing up. 
I, and then I went, he did not call me babe. And I did that thing in, in Pretty Woman where I nearly peed my pants. And, she, and, and the older woman says, oh, no, dear, Pirates of Penzance. And then I kind of, I twigged because I thought there's no way this guy called me babe. I'll leave it to you to decide which label I preferred. <laughs> but, you know, it may, it's just labels. And I think we have yeah. to be very sensitive about that. And actually ask people, have the guts to have the conversation to ask people, you know, how would you like me to refer to you? Absolutely. Oh, thank you. David, I'm going to come mm. to you to ask right. specifically about your thoughts and your experiences around this, your own experience of it and, and where you land now. Yeah, well, I think what Monica said is actually right. For, for me, as a white man, you're a bit cautious before you know what the individual uh, says. How, how, how do I describe that individual? Do I describe as a black woman? Do I, are you comfortable with it? So I would say that mm. if we were... And hopefully you'd respond in the right way. But if I said, do I call you a, a, a woman of colour? You'd then say yes or no. How do you like that? So long as I've got the confidence to do it. But most white men who've got any sensitivity stop it. Is it all right asking that question? It sounds a little bit impertinent. You know, would I immediately say to you, are you married? That might be a bit impertinent, you know. Or what's your, um, you know, what's your waist size? You think that's very impertinent. So, you know, you, you've, got to, you've got to know. So men, men and, and generally people are white need to, to feel comfortable about it. But it's been quite interesting how much feedback we've had just on that nomenclature. Mm, yeah. So it is great if we can get beyond this nomenclature yeah. and use it. In the end, when you're trying to develop people, whatever their background, it could be from a you know, a white-class working background yeah. who bump into people like me who went to Oxbridge and think, God, can I ever be part of that club? Oh, it's difficult. You've got to remember where you are if you're a senior person and make sure you're creating the entry to that. See what position, because it could be just as awkward for you as a working-class person dealing with a group of people who maybe went to public school, maybe went to Oxbridge, and you feel very difficult. But You may be white and male, but that's still an issue. So there's all yeah. sorts of these things that are going around. And for me, one of the objectives in running a board, indeed running a company, is to avoid there being that club that is difficult to get into. Create an open society, if you possibly can, in your own organisations, where everybody can feel comfortable about being a member. Not easy, um, yeah. because people do like to group up, and don't they? Just think about it, your own social lives, let alone your own business lives. But important not to create barriers by mistake. There's a theme emerging for me around courage and boldness, whether in small ways, just going back to some of the things that Monica said, where I'm kind of thrust into a position when I'm the only one, or in big, bold ways, like Anne said, when she said, you know, nope, try again. What are one or two really tiny or maybe big things that I might want to do to broadly advance ethnic diversity, talent in my organisation or in my space? Much of the work that we do gives us the indication that it is the minority of white people who see that this is an issue that they have permission to engage mm -hmm. in. As we're having this conversation, what does this mean for you? Let's think of some of the really great stuff that you've seen. I know you've, you've shared some examples, particularly based on your own experiences. <laughs> Anything that you've seen out there that you're really kind of impressed with, impressed by, a key intervention that you think unlocks this challenge of advancing ethnicity to the top in organisations? Monica, can we kick off with you? 
I mean, I, I mean, I, you have to start somewhere, and I think. You know, engaging with chairs is a brilliant way to do this. Engaging with executives is a great way to do this. And I think that, you know, you have to recognise that there are a lot of people... I mean, everybody at some point... Nobody's born board ready. Mm. So at some point, how do you take your first step? And I haven't seen a lot of great best-in-class. Some of it's to do with what are the opportunities out there, but actually, to what extent are you creating the opportunities for yourself? And what I would say to you is, actually, if you are thinking about leadership, if you are thinking about a non-executive director role, mm -hmm. then do you know what? If you can't see a role out there, write to the chair. I actually handwrite a letter only because I was so naughty at school that my mother bought me a calligraphy set. And, I, you know, I actually have nice handwriting. But, but apart from the fact that actually nobody receives those type mm -hmm. of letters, you know, approach people. Ask people, can you, can you help me? And, you know, look around to see, you know, Post Brothers do a brilliant trusteeship program. So start somewhere small, school governor, trusteeship, work your way up, hook yourself onto enough successes before you move on to the next thing. And also uh, involve, uh, they have the Empower side, the recruitment firm. They do brilliant events. Obviously, that's also where we met. And you've got Green Park. Be wary of the headhunters who, uh, who just want to put you on the list. Mm. But, you know what, if you get on the list and you get in front of someone, then it's your show. True. So um, I want to uh, touch on a couple of things. Firstly, it's a point that um, actually I think David alluded to, and it's in our report. We asked, how well does your company do this? Mm -hmm. And I just want to say, and it's a bit disappointing, but it's just honest, nobody rated themselves as doing a very good job on race. Okay? So 21%, yeah, pretty good. Sexual orientation, 17%. Disability, 4%. Age, 4%. 0% very good on race. So, you know, we have some things. We do have some work ahead of us, okay? So with that start point, my uh, story, and I completely agree with what you said about the headhunters. I think the headhunters are a part of the problem in this regard. Just speaking candidly, hope nobody from the headhunters is here. <laughs> I hope but, they um, are. Uh, or if they are, yeah. No, you know what? I actually do hope they are. But, there's, but it isn't just me. The Equality and Human Rights Commission found that. And I know you had a speaker from them. But my example of best practice is something that Heather did. Um, so this is Heather Melville. Until very recently, she was the most senior black executive in RBS. She's moving to PwC. So she had this conversation with her chief executive. And, you know, for her, it was like, look, please call me a black woman. Because I'll tell you something... If you're sat in a room and there's a hundred women and we're all in our black and blue city uniforms, how are you going to describe me? I'm the only black one, right? So, you know, that was, she was comfortable with that. And they pushed out their conversation. And then he did an event because it was about this topic. And so what Heather and he did, and they did this deliberately, because Heather said, look, you know what? It's the CEO and the chair. All the white men are going to be like, put me in the front row, right? I want to be visible because then I'm going to ask the first question and then the chair and the CEO are going to know who I am and I'm going to make it. And they didn't let that happen. She went around and she sent the invitation in advance to all the ethnic minority and women first and let them all register, right? and put them all in the front row, and then let the white men come. And so I thought, well, that's bold, right? And it's not the way it usually happens. And I thought, well, that's this intervention. It's just recognizing that you just need to make these interventions. Yeah, thank you so much. That, of course, speaks to, again, one of the earlier comments right at the start of this around 
disrupting the system around knowing that it's not, if you just kind of just let it go or just let it be, it's not going to happen, but we actually need to interject and disrupt the system. One of the other things that I did, you know, when we hear that conversation, of course, it goes without saying that when we're thinking about diversity on boards, that we're thinking about talent on, on boards. And then I often say, well, you know what? There's a whole bunch of white men who've been recruited just because they're white men. So let's accept that that's happening as well and challenge it both ways. So it is very important not to select, particularly on gender or ethnicity, but let's also call out when we know that white ethnicity and male gender is the preferred in that context and it's important to have those conversations thank you we are closing in in terms of our time i just want to ask a couple more questions to our Uh panelists (laughs) so we've said this is challenging we've said you know change is uncomfortable we said it needs to happen at the system level and we're all involved in this so anne And I'm going to ask the question to to all three of you at the first. And let's say you are in a room full of upper middle class white women successful in the city. And you wanted to say, you know what, ladies, this is one thing that we really need to do or we need to think about with regards to ethnicity on boards. What would it be? Monica, you're sitting in a room full of Indian women just like you. And you have one opportunity to tell them one thing that you wouldn't necessarily tell the white or Indian men outside the room. <laughs> what would you say? David! <laughs> I know what I can ask with that. <laughs> you and all your chair, chair men buddies. <laughs> and chair women buddies. Having a conversation, sure. a private, intimate space. What are some of the things that you would share with them that you're happy to share with us? Sure. Um, So I think it's about um, acknowledging that as an issue, right? Because, yes, chances for white women are not that great, okay? They decline from the entry level to reaching the top uh, by about 40%. But chances for black women decline by twice that rate. And so I think as women... We have an absolute obligation to include non-white women. And I think we make ourselves better by doing that. And I think you broaden the conversation, it's a different conversation. By the way, I also think it is absolutely imperative to include men in this whole thing. Because unless you do, you know, let's face it, what are you going to change, right? Because the majority of these positions are still held by white men. And, you know, they need to feel included... And they also need to, I think, feel included in an emotional as well as an irrational way. And we were talking about that earlier. And I think finding the emotional hook in a work context, because the cheap shot is, oh, but they all have daughters. But I think men are really great at compartmentalizing. And, you know, they can be fabulous fathers and still they cross the threshold. And we have some research on this and they become these alpha, you know, (laughs) guys. And so, so, you know, so we have to impact them emotionally at work. So you have to embrace difference emotionally at work. And I say that is the key to this. Thank you very much. Well, firstly, if it was a room full of Indian women, it'd be a bloody party. That's for sure. <laughs> um, do you know what I say? I think you're living in the right time. 
You know, my mother is a very capable, very talented woman. There is no way she would have been given the chances. Mm. And I would say, you know, to create your chances. Um, you know, your visibility, your credibility. Take your career seriously, but, you know, not yourself. Have, I mean, just humour. It is, amazes me. Uh, you know, I don't know if anybody ever saw Avenue Q, the um, pretty yeah. provocative, yeah. right? So... At the time, you know, we were doing work with them and I saw it so many times and it did my head in. But the one thing that I remember thinking the first time I saw it was, the first thing I saw was puppets. And the more I sort of sat there, I actually, you know, each one stood out. But then the more time I spent, actually everybody was the same. They were the characters of the show. And in some ways, sometimes standing out is a brilliant thing. And actually, if you are different, then I would say to... to I would say it's a combination of difference, actually. I, th- I think you really, if you are truly thinking about, you know, if, if there was a room full of Indian women, I would say if you really want to do it and you want to be a role model to men or women, then do it. Uh, and, and if you don't want to do it, don't do it. Don't, don't do something you don't want to do because you have to feel it's right here. Um, and there are clearly people who feel uncomfortable about this because they think they've got there through hard work. People don't always skillfully communicate about this subject. And actually, I would say, if you do get that call from a headhunter, just pause and reflect. Observe before you react. Put the phone down and say, thanks very much, I'll come back to you. And sometimes people don't communicate in a way in which we want to be seen and heard. So take the coffee. It's another contact. Also, when it's on the phone, you're just not not observing the body language and all of that. You just don't know where it could lead to. Do it and do it because you believe in it, because it's the right thing to do. And if you don't want to do it, then choose and shift your energy elsewhere. Thanks very much, Monica. Yeah. Here, here. <laughs> so I'm sitting in this room with yeah. a lot of ghastly white men. That's, that's a, <laughs> oh, that terrible thought. That, actually, the sort of thing that might happen, I may be talking about this sort of topic, and people will say, oh, come on, David, remember what it was like 30 or 40 years ago in your career? Were there any women around? Very few. Were any black people around, people of colour? Almost none, I'm afraid. Look at it today, look how different it is. Look at this room, for example, they might say, if we're here. And I'll say, yeah, of course it's improved, but are you honestly saying it's good enough? Does this reflect society? Haven't we got further to go? And they would probably say this. And we, I, you know, I simply say it's our responsibility to take it further over a period of time. You know, let's not do it in a tokenistic way. You've got to deal with it in the right way. If we don't, we won't be maximising people's potential. We won't be maximising our business's potential. And I think over a period of time, you'll get disaffected people from ethnic minorities who will feel they don't have a fair stake in our society. Mm. The consequences that over a period of time are severe. We've had our race riots in this country. We've seen Mm. it in the cities. We've seen it in other countries too. It's partly our responsibility as leaders of business as a society to make sure there's not an excuse that we give to avoid that happening. So that's probably the serious conversation I would have. Uh, you've then got to get into all the personal practices that we've talked a little bit about here today, a little bit about mentoring, a little bit about creating the right sort of environment so anybody can actually gain confidence over a period of time, a lot of help during uh, pressured times. Because people sometimes in this debate don't talk about how pressured these top jobs are yeah, yeah. Whether you're a white male or a black woman or anything else, they are, and all of us need help through that. Uh, It's not not easy. So, anyway, that might be my reaction there. You are done.
Thank you so much, Anne, Monica, David. Some really genuine, open, provocative in, in some regards uh, thoughts to leave us with, both from an personal perspective and an organizational perspective. Thank you so much. This podcast on inclusive talent management towards the new norm is the edited version of the Ethnicity on Board session at the 2018 Cranfield Alumni Conference. You can find out more about inclusive talent management and Cranfield School of Management at cranfield.ac.uk forward slash SOM. You can also find out about Cranfield's alumni benefits at cranfield.ac.uk forward slash alumni.